And now, today's word. Today, I'm going to do a message. I'm not going to continue with my God series. Uh, I'm just doing uh, something on ICGC at 40. And uh, I want to talk today about my ministry values, what is important to me as a pastor and as a minister of the gospel. And I'm going to talk about uh, 10 important values to me as a pastor. Because I'm your pastor, and it's important that you get to know who your pastor is, what is important to him, what is he hoping to achieve, what, what does he think his life is all about. Because it's always important to know the values uh, or what the people you consider your leaders think is valuable and important to them. And, and so I've put together 10 things that I will be talking about today about my ministry values, not just personal values, but the things that guide me as a minister of the gospel, as a minister and a preacher of God. And if you are new to church, uh, you will get to understand it. If you are old, maybe you've observed some of these things, but you haven't been able to put them into words. And I hope that each one of them will get a perspective that helps us in as we consider 40 years of the life of ICGC. I'm going to give a background text, and then I'll go into the 10 uh, values quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Just to give you a little background, Timothy is a young pastor. Uh, he was pastoring the church in Ephesus. And uh, he was a protege or uh, somebody that Paul was grooming and leading in ministry. And Paul was very uh, focused on Timothy's ministry and trying to help him to be uh, a man of his own. And, and so Paul wrote to Timothy as he was a pastor and told him a few things and also helped Timothy to, to know who Paul stood, uh, was and what he stood for. So this is part of Paul's instruction to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Now, what I want to focus on in this uh, statement of Paul to Timothy uh, is, is what he said about doctrine, manner of life, purpose, and faith. Paul says to Timothy, you've observed these things about me. What my doctrine is, that is what I teach. When they sit in the service and they don't see what they are expecting, somehow they still think it is so. Because one of the things you learn about life is that people don't experience life as it is. They experience life as they expect it to be. So sometimes people are going through one thing, but the expectation is very dif different. And they focus on the expectation instead of the reality. 
and we live with people as we expect and not as they are. So, for example, if you've had a bad marriage before, you go and marry a new woman, uh, you somehow project the bad marriage from the uh, previous marriage and, and the habit of probably your wife onto the new woman who has done nothing. And no matter how different she is from the previous one, because the expectation is more stronger than the reality, somehow in your mind you think she's like that. It's the same way with a, a woman who goes to marry a new man. Maybe you've had a bad marriage and a man mistreated you. Somehow you project the past into uh, the new. So I'm going to tell you what my values are and don't try to project other people's values on me. This is Mesa Otabel and what I stand for. So I'm going to go through the 10. I don't have too much time to go into details with them, but they will project there and, uh, and then we'll go through. First, the first value, the first thing that is important to me is truly know God as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. To truly know God as he has revealed himself in the scripture. This is very important to me. This is where everything starts. To know the God of the Bible, not the God of my ancestors or the God of my expectations or the God of my experiences, but the God of the Bible. Because the Bible is God's special revelation to me and to you and to all of us. And many times our view of God is not formed from the Bible. It is formed from uh, probably uh, what we heard a preacher say or probably what somebody said or probably our view of a certain religion or, or, and for most of us, for our Ghanaians, our ancestral religion in a lot of ways determine what we think of God. But the Bible is the surest way to help us find God. Not my experiences, but the Bible. And so in my quest to know God, the Bible is central. Not my experiences, not my dreams, not my, my, um, my desires, but what the Bible says about God from Genesis to Revelation. And that's why in my preaching, I endeavor to stay with the scriptures, not talk about things that have happened to me, but what the scripture says. Because at the heart of my ministry, at the heart of my life, is to know the God of the Bible. That is my number one value. And if you come here, that's what I'm going to show you. I'm not going to show you the God of Mensa Otabel, uh, or the God of Central, the God of ICGC. I'm going to show you the God of the Bible, because the God of the Bible is the true God of the universe. The second value that is important to me is to live out my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through my thoughts, choices, and actions. The Christian life is a life of submission to Jesus Christ. That means to yield to the Lord Jesus Christ. The early apostles of Jesus Christ called themselves slaves of God. Slaves of God. That's a very powerful statement. In other words, when they came to Christ, slaves of Christ, when it comes to Christ, they have no choice but to obey him. And that is how I see my Christian life. It's not about me trying to live the life that pleases me, but endeavoring 
to live my life as Christ will want me to live, through my thoughts, through my choices, through my actions. No matter how difficult it is to live the Christian life, I must live the Christian life. And I must live it in my thoughts, I must live it in my choices, I must live it in my actions. It's not so much about uh, just the fanciful thing of being called a man of God or being seen at a very high level, but living the Christian life, living it personally, living it in my marriage, living it in my family, living among friends. I want my wife to know I'm a Christian. I don't want my wife to first know me as a man of God. I want my wife to know me first and foremost as a Christian. I want my children to know me as a Christian. I want my friends to know me as a Christian. And I want you to know me not first as a pastor, but as a Christian. Everything I do as a pastor is premised on the fact that I'm a Christian and that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a very important value to me, to live out my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through my thoughts, choices, and actions. Number three, to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's presence and promptings. The Lord Jesus Christ promised to be with us through the Holy Spirit after he had physically ascended to heaven. And God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives within us, not outside of us. And if the Holy Spirit lives within me, then he will lead me from within me. He's not going to lead me from outside me. The Holy Spirit doesn't live in rivers. He doesn't live in mountains. He doesn't live in trees. He lives inside my heart. And if he lives inside my heart, then it is from inside my heart that he's going to lead me. And that's why in seeking guidance, I don't go outside. I go within because the Holy Spirit lives within. It's important that I commit my life to the Holy Spirit and endeavor to sense his leading to what he's indicating to me and what he's doing. Now, if you've been part of this church for a while, you know that as a practice, I rarely, rarely use phrases like the Lord told me or the Holy Spirit revealed to me. I don't use those, verses, uh, those phrases. You can go to churches where pastors use that at every sentence. The Lord told me, the Holy Spirit revealed me, and, and all of that. I don't do that. And I don't do that for several reasons. The first is that I don't presume that everything I feel comes from the Holy Spirit. I can't presume that. Neither can I put God on the line so that what I say doesn't come to pass. They will say God has lied. Neither do I want to manipulate people into obeying me by attaching the name of the Lord to my statements or the Holy Spirit to my statements. Because if I come to you and tell you, the Holy Spirit told me to tell you something, instantly you feel compelled to do it because I said the Holy Spirit. You're not going to think, you're not going to reason, and you're not going to assess whether what I say makes sense or not. So I don't use that, those phrases. Instead, you hear me use phrases like, I sense, I think, I believe strongly that this is so and so. That doesn't mean I don't hear 
from the Holy Spirit or I don't feel his guidance, but I want you to think when I speak. I want you to reason when I speak. I want you to make a choice that is compatible with your own will and your volition. I don't want you to feel I must do what has to be done because pastor said the Holy Spirit told him. You must hear the Holy Spirit too. You must make your own choices. You must take your own actions. So if you don't hear me use those phrases, it is not for lack of quote-unquote the anointing. It is not for lack of, of being close to the Holy Spirit. It is simply a choice I have made that I would use phrases that allow people to think, to reason, and to make choices based on a sense of conviction and not manipulation and being compared. So I've learned to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's presence and to his promptings. Number four, to build my life on a firm theological base rooted in rigorous Bible studies. As a preacher, I'm an expositor of the Bible. I cannot teach from a place of ignorance. I cannot just preach about my experiences. I must seek to understand the scriptures so I can teach its message. And knowing the Bible goes beyond knowing verses of the Bible or memorizing Bible verses. It requires extensive study, and I seek to understand that. So I study extensively across the years of Christian theology. I seek to understand where, what Christians over the ages have thought about and preached about. So I will read some of the church fathers, early church fathers, writings that are about 2,000 years old or 1,000 years old. Or, uh, I will read from different Christian disciplines, even from people whose core beliefs I do not share because I don't like condemning people when I haven't understood them. I want to understand where I stand, where he stands, and be able to make an intelligent choice that although I fully understand where he comes from, I don't agree with his conclusions. I don't want to make rash judgments. So I read about all Christian faith. I read about the Catholic faith. I read about the Anglican faith. I read about the Presbyterian faith. I read about Methodism. I understand where they come from. I understand what formulates their beliefs. And I have a full grasp of what they teach. But in the end, I have to also come to my own conclusion based on my reading of Scripture and how God has revealed himself in Scripture. So although I may fully understand somebody, it doesn't mean I fully agree with them. But I will not make a point based on ignorance. And I will not condemn somebody because of ignorance. If I'm going to take a stand, it has to be an informed stand because that is what God requires from each one of us. And so my theological base it's very rigorous, I study intensely, I think deeply, I reflect deeply before I preach. And you would notice that in my preaching, I do not quote too much from contemporary Christians. I do not quote from uh, people that, you, if you are a Pentecostal charismatic people, quote from people like T.L. Osborne and and Kenneth Hagin, and quote from all these people. You would not hear me quote from uh, these people, not because they are wrong, but I, I believe my theological reflection goes deeper uh, and, and, and wider historically 
than just what contemporary people think. Number five, this is very important to me, to develop an inner life of prayer, reflection, and self-examination. This is very important to me. Jesus frequently taught that what comes from outside of us comes from within us. So what you have within is, is critical to what you do outside. It's called an inner life. And I have endeavored to build an inner life. An inner life is inward, it is prayerful, it is contemplative, it is meditative. I search my heart, my motives, and desires, and I judge myself very deeply, soberly, and sincerely. I seek to know myself better than anyone would ever know me. And I think very deeply about my world. I think deeply about my life. I think deeply about my experiences. I spend hours examining myself. And sometimes I can be a harsh judge, a harsher judge of myself than anybody can ever judge me. Uh, the Bible says, if you judge yourself, you would not be judged. I, I am the first judge of myself. I judge myself so deeply that I am not able to listen to myself preaching. People love hearing me. I'm not able to hear myself because every time I hear a recording of myself, I go into judging mode. And, and I start critiquing everything I'm saying. I say, why did you say that? Why did you say it that way? Couldn't you have said it another way? But people get blessed listening to me, but I don't get blessed listening to me because I judge myself. Now, you have to know that about me. So, uh, you know, everybody close to me knows when I'm around, don't play my tape, don't play my message, don't listen to me on radio because I'm going to get upset. My wife likes listening to me uh, and, and she's always listening to my messages. But the moment I enter, she has to put it off because I don't like it. That's just me. It may be a crazy part of me, but I, I think it, it's because of uh, what I say. So in, in that sense of an inner life, I consider prayer as part of my inner life. Much as I believe in external prayer and loud prayer and shouting prayer, I believe prayer is not designed to change God. Prayer is designed to change me so that I can conform to the will of God. And, and so there has to be an aspect of prayer that helps me to change from within and not just try to move the hand of God as most of us like to do. Uh, there is power prayer. There are different forms of prayer, but I believe in an inner contemplative transforming prayer uh, that changes us. Number six, to remain awed by God's grace that saved me sustains me, and uses me to serve God's people. I do not take the grace of God for granted. I don't. The grace of God sought for me and saved me. The grace of God picked me in my youth and called me to serve God. The grace of God helped me when I felt lost in my life and brought me to an awareness of God's sufficiency. And I know myself more than anybody would ever know. If it was left to me, my personality and who I am, there is no way in God's earth that I would end up talking to people. 
because I'm not a public person. It is the grace of God that enables me to stand here and have been doing it for over 40 years and talking to people. Uh, uh, but I, I, I do that knowing this is not me. This is not my natural disposition. It is God's grace and his gift that allows that uh, to happen. So I don't take the grace of God for granted. His grace is what sustains me and uses me. And I'm always in awe of the grace of God. And, and though I'm, I seem to be a popular person and people think of me as some great person, I don't think of myself that way. I generally am not impressed with myself. You may be impressed with me, but I am not. Number seven, seven Bali, is to share the profound truths of the Bible in a demystified, practical, and easy to understand way. One of the most important tasks I have as a pastor is to preach from the Bible. It's a very difficult task. The Bible is God's revelation to us. However, the Bible was not written in our time. It was written in an older time, in an older culture, and it's different from the times we are living in. To understand what the Bible is saying, I have to carefully look at its language, its culture, the time frame, to understand God's timeless truth. And after that, I must find a way to communicate it to a modern generation so they can understand what God has said in time and is saying to them now. Because of that, when I teach the Bible, I aim at demystifying the Bible and I aim at simplicity. I don't aim at complexity. I don't aim at blowing your mind with something because your mind is already blown. I aim at putting the mind together. You'll not hear me saying, I'm about to bring a revelation. This will blow your mind. Oh, this, I'm about to say something. You haven't heard anything like this before. I don't say that because my aim is to simplify the profound truths of God. God's word is already profound. I can't make it any more profound. I have to simplify it. And I follow after Jesus Christ who taught the profound truths of God in a very, very simple way. Somebody asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And you would think Jesus would say, a neighbor is number one, number two, a neighbor is that. Jesus says, two men were on the road. A man was going on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem or Jerusalem to Jericho. And he says that this man fell among uh, uh, thieves. And then he talks about different people who came and nobody helped him. And he talked about one person who helped him. And Jesus asked the question, who do you think is a neighbor? Jesus simplifies profound truth. And that is what I do. Most of the things I teach are, are very, very deeply profound. They are deeply philosophical. They are very difficult ideas but I try to break it down in 30 minutes so that by the time you leave here, something that is so difficult to understand becomes so easy to understand. And that, that's my job. So I'm not here to blow your mind. I'm just here to simplify things. Number eight, endeavor to point people towards Christ and away from me. This is not a church you'll come to and hear the pastor telling powerful testimonies about his exploits. If something powerful happened to me, you would not hear of it. Christ is the center of our lives as Christians. He's our savior. He's our example. He's the one 
we imitate. So in all my preaching, my hope, my desire is that you discover Christ and not discover Mensah Otabel. And it's very easy for preachers to make ourselves the focus of people's faith. My desire is that your focus will be in Christ Jesus. He is the word of God made flesh. He's the ultimate sacrifice for all humanity. In him is life. In him is our hope. If you have faith in me, it will promise you, it profit you nothing. There's nothing I can do for you. I can't even listen to myself. There's nothing I can do for you. But if your faith is in Christ Jesus, he will make all things possible for you. And he will not fail you. And, and that's what my desire is, that you will discover Jesus Christ, you will love him, you will serve him, and you will center your life around him. And number nine, to see the pulpit as a sacred place, not to be profaned or used for personal advantage. Standing in front of people to speak to them is a great privilege I have. It's a powerful thing to have people sit in front of you listening to you like you're doing right now. And that privilege is very easy to abuse because if we don't understand the privilege and the grace that allows us to do what we do, we would use the pulpit as our place of authority and power. And if you've been around me for a while, you know that as a general practice, I say very little about myself in the pulpit, except rare occasions when it is necessary to say something to encourage people. When I talk about something related to me, I always want to use it to point to what Christ has done in my life. I don't use the pulpit to demonstrate how powerful I am, spiritually or in any other way. I don't use the pulpit to address my personal needs, no matter what they are. If I'm going through something personally, I will not talk about them in the pulpit. I don't use the pulpit to promote my family. And I scarcely mention my family in the pulpit. I mean, my, people know my wife because once in a while I say uh, nice things about her, which every husband should do, and I want to provoke the men to say nice things about their wives. Um, but beyond that, I don't say much. Uh, Apart from those who have been in this church for a long time, they don't even know my children. They don't know the names of my children. They don't know where they are. I will never come and talk about my children. If they get an award, I will not talk about it. Uh, if they don't get an award, I won't talk about it. Because, you know, those who brag about their children, oh, my children, my, my daughter got the first prize. What, what about the one who bombed? <laughs> are you going to come to the church and say, my, my, my child, oh, he bombed the thing, I mean... <laughs> no, 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 no. So my children are not a subject of my ministry or, uh, to, to God's people. So you don't hear about my family. You don't hear about my personal life. And it's a choice. It's not that nothing is happening. It's just a choice. Because I have to choose that this pulpit is not about me. I don't use this pulpit to settle quarrels. You will not hear me blasting you, although sometimes you are blastable, but I don't come to church. You know, you feel like giving it to them. You know, sometimes people say, Pastor, give it to them. Uh, I, I don't do that. Uh, so I come to encourage you because life is giving you bad stuff already. You don't come to church and the pastor is hitting your head too. Uh, life is already tough. My desire is to help you know that this God you serve is a good God, that he can lift you up and that he can bless you and prosper you. So 
I consider uh, the pulpit as a very sacred place. It's a sacred desk behind which I stand to do my job. And although it is my pulpit in the church, it is God's place. And I must seek very intentionally to represent him. I must use words that glorify him. I must use language that glorifies him. I must use temper that glorifies him. I cannot come and manifest anger and frustration and on you because that's not what this pulpit is for. I will and I pledge and I have, I believe in these 40 years, I have tried very hard to honor the pulpit and never to dishonor it. And, and because I take the pulpit so seriously, I am also very selective about who comes to my pulpit. Uh, so uh, they, they also have to be people who respect the pulpit and, and, and don't come and abuse it and, and use it in a self-centered way, in a selfish way, in a profane way, and use very profane words and, and all of that. And, and, and uh, it's important. Now, sometimes people feel when a pastor talks in a certain way, he's being real. But profanity is not real. Profanity is profanity. 